This morning, uh, what I'd like to do is actually, uh, there's a whole number of verses to go through. Uh, and then through this, I think that there's four questions for us today. Uh, and we'll get to those questions kind of as we go through this. But we'll start in verse 8 uh, as, as Peter. And this we read this last week. Uh, it says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Uh, and so we took a look at this last week and, and really kind of understood how God's view of time is, is far different than our view of time. Uh, and even though as we're sitting here in 2020 and wondering, like, why does this year feel like it's dragging on? And yet other aspects seem to be going by so fast. I went for a walk the other night. Uh, and I saw at least six or seven different Christmas trees in my neighborhood, like already put up in people's houses, you know, and, and the lights are starting to come out. And I'm like, you know, this feels like a little bit early, but at the same time, like seeing this idea of Christmas coming and what it represents with the light of the world coming into darkness, um, just gave joy to my heart to be able to see this happening. And so, uh, Christmas seems like it's here so quickly, um, but for me, it's a welcome thing. Uh, I know it's a little bit different, and, and families are still trying to figure out what to do, you know, and how to meet and everything like that, but, and this is a huge segue, <laughs> but the idea of Christmas and the light of the world coming, I, that's what I love about Christmas lights, and I think it's a much-needed reminder for us uh, today in this year that we are in, that regardless of what has happened or what will happen, the light has already come in Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have and what we need to anchor to. And so we looked at that last week, how he wants uh, for people to come to repentance, for people to come to salvation, and, and through that be adopted into the family of God, this, this blessing and a spiritual transformation uh, within our own life uh, through grace and, and God's compassion. And so in this, he's being patient for his return. He's being patient uh, to put an end to the things that we see, uh, the darkness and the wickedness within this world. But that patience should not be taken for weakness because God doesn't delay, which brings us to the next verse and verse 10. He's saying he will not delay, as someone understand, but he's patient, not wanting to any perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And so here's this concept of God being patient, of time being taken for the gospel to be preached, for, for people to come uh, to saving faith in Jesus Christ through repentance uh, and doing it out of love and compassion for those who are still blind, those who are still lost, those that are still putting their hope in the sinking things of this world. But that time will come to an end and it says it will come like a thief. It will be sudden. This isn't the only passage that does this. In fact, it's throughout the scriptures. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 24, starting in verse 36, says this, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah boarded the ark. 
They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. This is Jesus talking. He's saying that that I'm going to be going away for a time period. The Holy Spirit will come. It'll work within the church, empowering the church in order to proclaim the gospel. This will happen for a season, and then I'm going to come back. But, but when I come back, it's not going to be at a time that you expect. In the day of Noah, people were eating, and they were just going about their daily lives. Going about as though everything was normal. And then all of a sudden, the rains came. In the same way, Jesus will return. He says that when he returns, people are going to be going about their lives. They're going to be seeking after the things of this world and and not necessarily paying attention to his return, but being so focused on their lives here on this earth that it will be a sudden surprise when he returns. And so then in verse 42, Jesus says, Therefore, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you also are to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. First Thessalonians says this uh, in chapter 5, verse 1. About the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will be upon them, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. Is this idea of, of a thief coming in the middle of the night, and if somehow, you know, you were able... He's saying, don't be asleep spiritually because you know that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be sudden. Be alert spiritually. Don't be complacent. Be ready within your own life for Christ to come back. Throughout all of the Gospels and Scriptures is this concept of this sudden day. This sudden day that is coming and we don't know when. And I think for us, as we look back now, Jesus was saying this in Matthew chapter 24, and we're almost 2,000 years after he said this. Where he says, don't be asleep spiritually. Be alert. Be awake. I'm coming back. 
and it's been 2,000 years. And so the question I think we need to ask ourselves, and this is the first question for this morning, is are we ready? Are we prepared in our life? Or are we spiritually asleep? Are we ready for Jesus to come back? We look back uh, at this passage this morning in 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, it says in verse 90, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand, but is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day, when Jesus comes back suddenly, on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements, the, the building blocks of creation will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. It's this idea of that we've been warned about how sudden this day is going to come upon us. That we can't just be going on with our lives as normal as though this earth will continue as it has. It's this concept of we know that it's going to be sudden, and when it happens, we also understand it will be final. It will be the end. When Christ comes back, it is the judgment time. It is the time where sin and sickness and wickedness will be put to an end and His glorious kingdom will be ushered in. This is why Peter says, because it's going to be sudden and it's going to be final, how much are we then as Christians to live with holy conduct? It's this concept of, of living righteously. Living holy, living lives that are set apart from this world. To look at the way God calls us to live and say, yes, Lord, I want to pursue you and I want to cast off every weight. I want to cast off every hindrance. I want to cast off every sin that slows me down from getting closer to you. This is what I want in my life. And so we want to live in holy conduct. If, if we knew the day and hour that Jesus was coming back, if we could have it on our calendar and we know that it was coming back at a certain time and we knew that it was going to be the end, what changes would you make in your life? What little clingy sins would you have such conviction, I just need to get rid of these things? If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow morning, what things in your life would you end? Brothers and sisters, do not delay. Because we do not know the day or hour, but it will be sudden like a thief, and it will be final. And so let us live lives of holy conduct, living righteously, as lights within this world, not anchored to the things of this earth. The second thing he says then is, it's clear what sort of people you should be in lives of holy conduct and godliness. Now this word godliness uh, is, is really this concept of lives that take action for God. It's, it's a holy living, uh, like, worked out in our lives. And so it's not just this uh, internal, personal thing where I'm going to cast out this sin, and I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to repent where I need to repent. But it's this idea of my life is not my own, 
but it is for God. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that Christ has prepared works for us beforehand, that we should walk in them. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, the saints are meant to be equipped for the work of ministry to one another. In Corinthians, it says that we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Our lives on this earth as Christians uh, are not meant to be this, this little bunkered down, hold up idea of I just need to survive within myself and, and I need to get rid of these sin things as I wait for Jesus to come back. But no, we're, we're called to, to work on that, to get rid of sin, to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but then to step out in faith and trust and boldness in proclaiming who Jesus Christ is and accomplishing the work that he's called us to accomplish here on this earth. To share our faith with others, to, to minister to other people within the church, and to minister to those in the world around us, to our family members, to our neighbors, and even to strangers at times. These are these acts of godliness. It is the work of the ministry. Last week, we looked at how we were adopted out of this world, and with that, our whole motivation of what our life should be is fundamentally transformed. Our life is no longer about what can I accomplish, what can I do, what can I gain here and now? What kind of car can I have? What kind of house? You know, what is my debt-to-income ratio? What is my 401k? What does my retirement look like? Can I be famous? Do people like me? Like, like all of that is meant to be set aside because those motivations are just for the here and for the now. And our motivations now, we're called to live as aliens and strangers in this world. For God, his kingdom, his plan for the fulfillment of all things. Now the good news in this is that it's not in our own strength. This idea of, of godliness, this action in life, is not in our own strength. If you remember, and we'll go back here to 2 Peter chapter 1, as we began in verse 3. It says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything required for life and godliness. This is the same word that Peter is bookending his letter by starting out and saying, God's giving everything that you need. The Holy Spirit is giving you everything that you need through His strength, through His wisdom, through His power. Everything that you need to live a life of godliness. And then at the end of Peter, he's saying, because we know these things are true, let's live this way. God is giving you everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us a very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of evil desire. It's because of these promises and if you want more detail on those, you can go back to the first message in the series as we work through this passage. But in this, we share in the divine nature. The promises of Jesus Christ were called to a greater life that is not tied up by the action of this world and lives that live action for the kingdom of heaven. So this is the second question for us this morning. The lives that we lead, is it in action for God's kingdom or for ours? 
Are we living lives of godliness? Because if we're living according to the earth, as we know it, Peter shows us its fruitlessness. Again, in verse 12, it says, because of that day that Jesus Christ comes back, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. Right there is the fruitlessness of pursuing things in this world. We could amass the the greatest amount of goods and wealth on this earth, but it's all going to be burned up. Maybe we can provide ourselves with some semblance of earthly comfort for however long we have left in our life. Or, Or maybe for our children, but it's all temporary in the light of eternity. And so the effort that we put in our life I think is something we need to examine. Are are we putting more effort, more passion into our actions on this earth and our comfort on this earth than we put energy and actions and passion into pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ and a pursuit of eternity and what he's calling us to do? To be equipped, to be prepared, to be trained, to, to do the work of ministry to the people around us. To learn how to pray for one another. To learn to, to grow our faith and trust for God to, to work in mighty ways as we are bold. The way that the apostles prayed in Acts chapter 4. Because in verse 13, based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This, for the Christian, is our inheritance. It's no longer anything of this world, but it is a new heavens, a new earth, where righteousness and holiness dwells. So Peter continues on in verse 17 then in chapter 3. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, since you know Jesus is coming back suddenly, since you know that it will be the final end, since you know that everything of this earth will be burned up and the only thing that survives is that of a holiness and a righteousness with God for all of eternity, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and you fall from your own stable position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Now throughout our series, we've been talking uh, about this sense of lawlessness, this not being deceived. And, and the thread throughout all of Second Peter it was this deception of Jesus really isn't coming back. There isn't going to be a, a day of judgment And so people were were living that way and and causing people to be drawn away from the truth with that idea of, well, Jesus isn't really coming back. Now, for those of us here this morning that really, truly believe and, and we look forward to that day when the promised return of Christ comes. It's why I love Christmas so much. Again, that representation of of the the lights and Jesus being the light of the world coming down and and all of the celebration of Christmas that's focused in on Christ coming as a child in order to live a perfect life, uh, to die for our sins. Just the whole beauty of the gospel in that tender moment of Jesus' birth also points forward to the return of Jesus. 
We're going to be entering into a season of Advent and, and looking like what it meant for the anticipation of the arrival of the Savior. And how, again, we're still living in an Advent, which is that anticipation, an anticipation of the coming, conquering King against sin and death. So we look at this, and we believe that that's true. So, so what error can we then fall into since we have faith and desire for Jesus to return? This brings us to sex, uh, question three. Have we fallen into complacency? Have we fallen into complacency? We want Jesus to come back. We, we long for him to come back. We, we look at a year like 2020, and we say, God, it would be so great if you came back at the end of this year and it would just all be done. We attend church, we pray, we worship. But do we fully conform our lives in urgency, desiring to be ready, desiring to have poured out our lives as a living sacrifice, as it says in Romans chapter 12. That this great gift that God has given to us, this new life that is a partaker of the divine nature, have we used that in a meaningful way to advance the kingdom of God? Or are we complacent because it's been 2,000 years and Jesus will come back when he comes back. And, you know, it'd be nice. It'd be really cool if it happens in my lifetime. But, but if he doesn't, it's okay. And I think if we come into that mindset, we can start living our day by day, just sitting there with that attitude of like, it'd be really cool if he came back. But you know what? It's been 2,000 years. Maybe it'll happen later. And so we become complacent and not living with urgency. And instead, we look to the comforts of this world. Instead, we put our energy and our efforts uh, into trying to solve our issues here and now. Or to make ourselves feel comfortable or feel secure here and now with these little things that we face that are simply temporary. And so in that, we fall into a sense of complacency. And by holding on to the aspects of this world, our actual growth in Christ and our effectiveness is stunted. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people. So he's writing to the church of Corinthians because of their complacency. I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink. This would be the, the basic concepts of the gospel, not solid food, not the deeper things, not the stepping out in the power that we have been granted through Jesus Christ, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Not according to the divine nature, but mere humans. I think it is telling that during any election and political cycle, there's so much conflict within the church. There's so much strife within the church. There is envy and strife because you are worldly and behaving like mere humans. 
It breaks my heart when we see the petty things of this earth disrupt what the men and women of God are meant to be and what the church is meant to be as light in darkness. And it happens because we're too anchored in things of the world. We're seeking comfort within the world and we become complacent because we want Jesus to come back, but we really don't think, we really don't act that it's going to be like a thief in the night. Hebrews chapter 5 puts it this way. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness, about holiness, about living lives that are completely set apart from this world. Because he is an infant. And so again, I think we need to examine our lives. Have we allowed a a sense of complacency, a sense of Jesus is coming back, but I'm not so when to pursue comforts of this world? uh, And in that have remained spiritual infants because we're still relying on the teat of this world instead of the rich food that God gives to us. One question to ask ourselves in this is when we examine our own lives, how much of your energy, how much of your efforts are about you and your needs and your comfort and your wants and your desires and your goals? Like a child. I want Kool-Aid. I want a cookie. I want this toy. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to clean my room. I want, I want, I want, I want. Versus the sacrificial life that seeks to reflect Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, I didn't think to put this on. If you have your Bibles, turn there. I want to read this directly, but in Philippians chapter 2, we're told the mindset that we are to have. Uh, In verse 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So he's saying if there's anything of the gospel in you, if there's anything of a love for Jesus Christ in you, if you've been encouraged by grace and salvation, if, if you have comfort in your life because of salvation, because of God's love, if you have any participation of the Spirit working within your life, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, not just I want, I want, I need, I want, but rather the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, who was God himself, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being in a human form, humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the mindset that we're called to in maturity in Christ. A mindset that our life is not about us, but it's about Jesus and reflecting him and serving one another. Jesus himself set that example for us on the cross, an instrument of death for criminals, and one that brought about shame, one that brought about ridicule. When you study the cross as a method of execution, it's so far different than anything that we have now. If, if there is an execution within our country, uh, it's through lethal injection, electrocution. It's, it's meant to be done in a way as humanely as possible, in, in a way that ends things quick, and in a peaceful, dignified way for human life. The cross was none of those. The cross was designed to prolong death. The cross was designed specifically to promote shame as a person would hang upon it naked in display of the entire city. God himself came down to this earth in order to take on the form of a servant, to give all, to endure shame and ridicule and mocking and physical beating even to the point of death. And that's what we're called to do in our own life. Now, none of us likes the idea or this concept of suffering, of facing shame, of facing persecution, of facing ridicule. But our aversion to those things is simply because of our humanity and a desire for earthly comfort instead of a divine nature that says, that's not as important as reflecting Jesus in every situation that we find ourselves. Do we live our life as an active part of the kingdom? Now, we all begin as infants in Christ, and we never move away from a deep dependency on Him. It's His strength, it's him, His power, but we're called to growth, we're called to action. And in this, again, a call to godliness, a life of action for God. We, we see in 1 Timothy, Paul addresses this as he writes to a young man. He says, train yourself in godliness. So this idea of living out this life of faith is actually something we can train for. Verse 8, the training of the body has limited a benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so we can actually take action to prepare for the return of Christ. We can do things to be ready and to learn how to live lives of godliness. We can do this through the word of God and being hungry for that. To read through this and to learn more about him, his plans, his promises, what he thinks about us and how he calls us and, and the life that he died to give us. Like, let, let's live that way. 
if we know that he's coming back and we know that it's urgent, we know that it's the final end, and we know within Scripture that his blood poured out at the cross was meant to free us from a need to be tethered to this world, and more than that, to be help us to be partakers of the divine nature, to, to live a life that is more than conquerors, a life that helps others to see freedom in Jesus Christ, to be able to pray and see things God do, God things. Like my mind is blown. I can't even say that straight. See God do God things. Yeah. I want to see more of that. I want to see God do God things more. To live a life that way, because it's the truth within Scripture, but we don't know that unless we train ourselves in the Word of God. We live lives that are hungry for worship, spending time in His presence and declaring His goodness and His glory, and in doing so, know Him more personally. We can do this through lives of discipleship, being trained by others. We can do this through small groups, our men's group, our women's group, going through various studies, going through different trainings that uh, we have some in the process uh, that we're going to roll out. But to train ourselves in how to be equipped and to step out in faith in the way that God has called us to. We can do this through fellowship, being connected to one another, not going through this alone, but doing it with our brothers and sisters, but ultimately to be hungry for the sanctifying work, the, the work that makes us holy of the Holy Spirit. Again, in first Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says His divine power has given us everything required for life and for godliness. So this brings us to question four. We've gone through all these other questions. First one is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back at any moment like a thief in the night? Second question, are you living for God's kingdom? Or are you pursuing your own? Third question, are you complacent? Have you become complacent? Because it's been 2,000 years since we're supposed to live as though a thief is coming in the night. And have we see, sought our comfort more? And then question four is, will you take action? Will you train? Will you seek these things? Will you seek to grow in lives of godliness and holiness? Will you seek to live out the truthful life that Christ bled and died to give you? Or will you continue to pursue things of this world? Now, Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a picture of what a church, what a group of people who are committed to live these lives will look like. Verse 2 uh, 12 rather it says that the saints will be equipped for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ Imagine a church that's gathered where our goal is not my needs my desires But our goal is they say how can we minister to one another to build up the body of Christ? Until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children. We will no longer be infants tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Just imagine right now, 
with this whole season that we faced in 2020, this whole season that we're facing right now within a political climate, with all the accusations of deceit that are flying both ways all over the place. And it says that the mature church would be able to be solid, not tossed around by human cunning and techniques of deceit, but instead the mature church will speak truth in love and will all grow in every way into him who is the head, Jesus. From him, the whole body, the church, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love for the proper working of each individual part. This is the life that God is calling us to. To set aside being affected by the temporary mundane things of this earth, to set aside merely being human, and to live with one another, partaking of the divine nature together, supporting each other in an eternal way, not with our own strength, but with the strength of God himself through the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he's given to us. That church will be a light in the times that we live in and a light for whatever comes next. That church will not be blown around or shaken by whatever happens next, but will stand firm, showing the light into the darkness that would echo the words of Jesus. Is anyone thirsty? Let him come. Let that be our life. The people are looking for hope. They're looking for love. They're looking for stability and an anchoring in heaven. Let our lives point to that instead of things of this earth. Let's pray.